Life doesn't have a pause button. That's why Capella University's FlexPath learning format lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them if something comes up. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference for you at capella.edu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Today, we are sponsored by European Wax Center's Axe the Pink Tax campaign. The pink tax is the extra amount of money that women are charged every year for basic goods and services. And it adds up, up to $1,351 a year. The pink tax is charging women more money on everything from baby bottles to canes, toys, personal care products, clothes, and dry cleaning. Yes, dry cleaning. This is probably the thing you've actually noticed on your own. I for sure noticed it. Um, They charge more for Try cleaning women's blouses and men's blouses, and that's absurd. European Wax Center wants to empower confident women, and they're doing that with Axe the Pink Tax. It's hard to say, but it's easy to take part in. You can see for yourself at axethepinktax.com. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, the show where we talk about the differences between us without letting them divide us. And today's show is super on brand. Uh, we had two guests. Noshina Hussein, who is the co-founder and executive director of Reviving the Islamic Sisterhood for Empowerment, and Beth Gindler, who is the executive director of the National Council of Jewish Women. They are both a part of the Muslim and Jewish women of Minnesota, and they've accomplished some really cool stuff here in our home state. I think they're a beautiful example of something, you know, we aim for on this show a lot, which is a messy coalition, and an awesome friendship. Stay tuned. Why don't we set up where you're coming from? You both represent individual organizations. Noshina, why don't you go first? Sure. Thank you, Anna, for having both of us um, in studio here today. Um, I am the executive director and co-founder of an organization called Reviving the Islamic Sisterhood for Empowerment. Our mission is to amplify the voice and power of Muslim women, and we do that through storytelling, leadership development, and civic engagement. So in a nutshell, it's trying to get Muslim women really engaged in their communities. And I am the executive director of the Minnesota section of National Council of Jewish Women. We've been around in Minnesota and um, across the country for 125 years. So we are very, very old. And I think with that comes all of the great things about being a legacy organization and some of the challenges that go with that as well. Um, Our mission is to improve the quality of life for women, children, and families, and we do that through direct service in the community, social justice policy advocacy, and um, much like RISE, leadership development for folks who identify as women to get out there and do the work. And I think you each deserve a show of your own to talk about these projects. Like, they're both super interesting and have, like, specific challenges um, in the community that we all live in and specific triumphs. Um, uh, But— The reason why you're here today is that you together formed a coalition, uh, Muslim and Jewish Women of Minnesota. So tell me how that got started. So... um our, our origin story <laughs> began around <laughs> the issue of gun violence prevention. It's an issue that NCJW has been working on for a very long time. And in the aftermath of the San Bernardino shooting, another Muslim women's organization, Rabada, um, released a statement uh, condemning the shooting, promising to work for gun violence prevention. We saw that and thought, wow, that could be a really powerful partnership. And I think it was in our heads at the moment, even that people don't expect Muslims and Jews necessarily to work together and to get along. But we thought, let's, we, we have these shared goals, we have these shared values, let's make it happen. Can I jump in really Please, quick? Yeah. Because so does your personal relationship um, pre-exist the coalition? No. No. So you saw the Muslim uh, organization put out a statement and you were like, this is something we also agree with. And it would be powerful just as we Jewish women took up took up this 
cause as well, like linked arms on this particular issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's let's come together and do this. And that's really how it all started. Um, the Rebutta, the organization that started it all, their mission is much more education and prayer focused and not so much on policy advocacy and civic engagement. But Tamara Gray, their founder and executive director, um, is a friend and mentor of Noshina's. So understanding that RISE was this new developing amazing, by the way, organization, um, reached out to Noshina and said, I think that this is something that, that you're going to want to be involved with. And that's how Reviving Sisterhood came in and how, how We're our We're only three started. years old. Oh, wow. Right. And so we launched in 2016. <laughs> I feel like there's some serendipity here. That, <laughs> yeah. There's some oh, coincidental. Absolutely. We totally sure. there's, there's a bigger some... plan. Yes. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, when we first started, it was like, how do we engage in the democratic process where it's not just limited to like one vote and running for office? Like there's all this other stuff in between. And with all the different types of mass shootings that were happening, gun violence prevention seemed like a a really good opportunity for us to like understand that process and get our feet wet. And so um, Aunt Tamara actually invited us to a meeting with NCJW in the back of their bookshop called Daybreak, which also hosts kind of like a gathering space for for women, really, to be able to come together. Because there isn't a there isn't a physical space necessarily for Muslim women to gather in outside of, um, you know, their homes and their extracurricular activities. So we got invited and we started to um, begin this meeting. And I remember the first thing the chair of the board at that time, Betsy Sitkoff, had said, we know that there's this elephant in the room of, you know, things that happen outside of the United States. But we are going to focus on our backyard, which is Minnesota, and look at policies and things that we can change right here for all of us. And so that was sort of the you know, like rule to kind of get involved. And we thought, okay, great. This is good. This is a good starting point. It's like, we're going to focus on what we need to change for Minnesota. And so gun violence prevention was the route we took. Was gun violence prevention something that your organization was thinking about prior to the shooting? I So I'm, I can't say for sure. You, because, you can talk for yourself yeah, if you I want. Know, for yeah. myself, yeah. yeah individually, um, no, other than... Other than there's a problem, right? <laughs> right? And I was like, I don't know what you're supposed to do, right? Like, I didn't know that there was policy involved. I didn't know there were laws that could be changed. I didn't even know that you could go to Walmart and just buy a gun with, like, no background checks. And, you know, you there's no, like, age requirements. Like, they, all these little loopholes, I had no idea what any of that was. And so this was, like, a perfect sort of opportunity to get really into the weeds around what policy is and what this issue really is about. I also think it's interesting. I want to interject that we talk about gun violence and mass shootings, unfortunately, a lot of the time in this country. It's interesting to me that the violence against Muslims tends not to get told as part of that story a lot of the time in mainstream media. Like we talk about Parkland, yeah. right? Um, I think we talk about Tree of Life, but it's it's those are there's a terrorist attack, yeah. you know, sometimes, but that's different. Yeah. I, I find. I find it really interesting that this is the thing that you could come together on and actually remind people that there's this is mass violence, this is gun violence. Well, I think I think that communities of color, generally speaking, get left out of the conversation around gun violence prevention yeah. and that it's it's complicated and the advocacy movement is complicated. Um, our relationship started around gun violence prevention, but it didn't start and end there. We, um, <clears throat> I think from the very beginning, we're very intentional about stating that we have these shared values and goals as women of faith um, that really bring us together around progressive policy issues. So our, our, our policy agenda has expanded um, and I believe that gun violence pre- – well, when when we lobbied together this year, gun violence prevention actually wasn't one of our shared policy items because it didn't rise to the top. Well, I think it's interesting that you actually grounded it in this – this something so specific and so immediate first. And to me, that suggests like a whole kind of um, best practices uh, viewpoint on how coalitions can work together. Because you started out with this one specific, very immediate thing. 
And how did that sort of help you do the rest of it? I think there was a sense of urgency, right? There was yeah. that there wasn't just one mass shooting. There was like a series right. of mass shootings, right? And I think uh, for both of our organizations, our constituents needed to actually understand the process of what it takes um, to change laws or bills, right? So we hosted lots of trainings around, um, you know, how a, how how a bill becomes a law, you know, what it means to go in and talk to an elected official, like which, what things were going to be proposed and how that whole process worked. And we learned a lot through that, right? So when you're going in with a learner's mindset, it's much different than going in with a, like, I need this specific thing to happen, which is, you know, based on some like a, a stereotype of how our relationship is supposed to be. So I think we just went in it in a very with a very different point of view. Right. I mean, we came at it speaking from from NCJW's perspective. We came at it with some some really clear policy change goals, and we saw this as a way to make it happen. Um, and I think what you might be getting at on us, we didn't we didn't come at this with the idea of creating an interfaith. <laughs> No alliance or building <laughs> right, sure. relationships. We, we Those things are great. <laughs> They're great. Alliances are great. They're great. They're yeah. great. But I think, well, and I think yeah. that may be where some of the um, yeah. <laughs> some, of our, it, some of our similar personality yeah, uh, traits can come in. We call it faith and action, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We are grounded in our faith values, and we see where they intersect, especially when we um, are called to action in in some sort of public policy manner. That's how we. But I think it's it. what set, sets us apart too. Yeah. So we didn't come at it with the idea of building building an interfaith coalition. We came at it because we wanna we wanna make policy change, and we've become friends, and yeah. it's fabulous. And and I think and not just the two of us. I think that there have yeah. been really deep and wonderful friendships and relationships that have been built, and I. I feel like those relationships are stronger because we came at it from this shared purpose, mm-hmm. um, not with the goal of it's. It's just more natural, right? Yeah. You don't like go out and say, "Hi, will you be my friend?" <laughs> it's just it does. It doesn't. Life doesn't work that right. way. Yeah. Right. Those type of settings where we're like, "Okay, we're going to." This is the purpose of this meeting. Is that we're going to meet each other? The purpose of this meeting is to meet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. And and we were like, mm, no. So, but. But in the in those trainings, right. when we're at the Capitol, when we're meeting with elected officials, we start to learn about like little things about each other, mm-hmm. right? Like we get to understand each other's personalities. We see who we can be sarcastic with and who we can tease and who we need to be like just proper with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at the same time, we get to, we get to learn about like each other's likes and dislikes and families and hobbies and um, and then we get into the more of like oh in my faith tradition we do this oh that's really similar to what we do and that's when you get into the oh there is a lot in common versus like let's let's sit down and figure out what we have in common let's, let's bring peace to the middle east hey yeah. let's all just sit yeah, down let's start right let's there do let's do that yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. let's get, invite jared we'll get jared kushner in here and then the, then we'll work it out before <laughs> oh us, yeah i, I think can that. do that yeah. <laughs> you know it's funny <laughs> although i would like to see what would happen if you know we did bring him into this room with the four of us to see what would happen that could be fun so Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. And if you listen to the show with any degree of regularity, you know that I am an enthusiastic consumer of Stitch Fix's products. And I, again, happen to be wearing some Stitch Fix items today in studio. I, I've been thinking about why that happens so often, and I think it's because I don't leave the house very much in general. And so in general, I just wear, like, sweatpants uh, and T-shirts, like, T-shirts that are like, you know, 15 years old and huge and baggy. Uh, And so when I leave the house, I want to wear something nice. And a lot of the nicest, coolest stuff I have is from Stitch Fix. So let's see. I am wearing like tomato red skinny jeans uh, and then this cool uh, sweatshirt from Spiritual Gangster, the brand Spiritual Gangster, uh, that says happy on it because it's spring outside and I thought tomato red pants and a sweatshirt that said happy would be totally spring-like and much nicer to wear to the studio than my incredibly worn out sweatpants and t-shirt combo. This is what I slept in. (laughs) So anyway, Stitch Fix, they're also an advertiser. There's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or you can get your fix whenever you want. Just like, you know, click in and be like, I want one next week. 
The styling fee is only $20, which is applied towards anything you keep from your shipment. So get started now at stitchfix.com slash friends. You will get an extra 25% off when you keep all the items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash friends to get started today. stitchfix.com slash friends. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight 30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut, I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, It's everyone from comedians to politicians to, for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiancé of Stephon Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. As a Brit and a Muslim, an immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Mehdi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at theintercept.com slash deconstructed or on any podcast platform. Something that people who listen to this show are really concerned about, I hear about a lot when I talk to people, um, when people write in, is, you know, how do I change so-and-so's mind? Like my my racist uncle, my Trump-supporting, you know, uh, college friend, like, what do I do? Also, like, I live in a neighborhood full of Trump supporters. What do I do? Move. Well, <laughs> well there's that. Actually, you know what? There's part of me that feels like sometimes we do need to ask ourselves, like, yeah. what level of comfort? And what level of discomfort yeah. are we comfortable with? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. And how how willing are we to like put real shit on the line? Yeah. Um, but in a more in, a, in an entry level way, what I often suggest to people is start walking dogs at the a neighborhood animal shelter because you'll meet other people who also love animals, and that's a great way to just know other people in your neighborhood. And if you both love animals. You might be able to talk about politics at some point. Like, <laughs> I mean, and that's a very low-level version, maybe of what you're talking, of what you're talking about. But I do feel like the idea of shared community and shared goals is how you get to the next level. You don't start out. Let's bring peace to them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, if you listen to our to our South by presentation, you know that we talk a lot about food. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I knew you were going to say that too. Yeah. I'm, like, well, I'm going to start recommending that in addition to walking dogs because I really do love dogs. But maybe like have a potluck. It's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Food is a really underrated convener. Yes. Um, we all have to eat. Most of us really like to eat. Um, we all have foods that are associated with our traditions and our cultures and our families and sharing that with another person is really, it's it's a vulnerability, but it's kind of a safe vulnerability. And, um, you know, sharing meals, you got to talk to each other, you got to yeah. touch each other, you yeah. got to pass the salt. And, and it's, um, it's really important. I think we just need to eat more together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Food well, is definitely a convener. Yeah. So, so there's, so there's sort of that step one, maybe in best practices, right? Like you start out with a shared goal and maybe don't worry about the things that are outside the room, outside the borders of the country. Like, mm-hmm. let's just focus on this thing that we all know we want to do this. Oh, and we all know we want to eat. That's the other thing. Very important. Very we important. all know we want to stop gun violence and eat. Those are two real core values, I think, for a lot of people who listen to the show as well. Um, but you've said that this organization has grown and has more um, uh, programs and a, a wider vision. So how did where did where did that come from? Getting together, right, and um, really opening up each other's spaces for each other to like really get to know one another. Um, I, I keep going back to the, you know, oh, let's let's have let's have a meeting where we talk about 
you know, how you practice your faith and how I practice my faith. Instead, it was like, no, why don't you come to my mosque? Why don't you come to my synagogue? Why don't you come to Seder, right? Like, come and enjoy iftar with us. So the being in the midst of it and being observational and then and then knowing that, like, we will answer any questions because we've built a relationship now. So it's not so much—it doesn't feel— um, you know, some of these questions can be offensive, right? And you're like, oh, you could have asked that a little bit better. And you start to learn that when you start to interact with each other. I remember um, I was at, what, which synagogue was I at with Deb Moses and you? <laughs> we had to, oh, Mount Zion. Mount Zion, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was sitting there with the prayer book, I was like, this is the same word we have. <laughs> and Deb goes, I know, that's what I thought when I was at your mosque. And I thought to myself, like, oh my gosh, that, what, that whole sentence around, like, we have so much in common, <laughs> was like, well, I didn't need to sit around a table and figure that out. I, I found it more powerful to, like, be sitting there with that book, right, and with that prayer book and being in the moment feeling like, oh my gosh, we do have so much in common. Right, and doing that with, I mean, with sisters, yeah. with people that you're in relationship with, is a, is a whole lot more meaningful and powerful, I think. But I, I and, and I don't know if you were also asking about how we broadened our policy agenda beyond gun violence. But yes. it sounds like this is part of it, though. Yeah, you did. that's part of the story. Yeah, is that your relationship at, developed and your visions developed further too. Well, and part of it is just you know we we each have we're each running these different public policy organizations with with different legislative priorities and just. You know, nuts and bolts, we brought our boards together ahead of the legislative session, talked about what each other was working on, and then did, you know, the the consensus building democracy thing to pick a few topics that we would work on together um, for this legislative session. So, you know, there's yeah. there's community organizing 101, and then there's relationship building, which can't really be defined by a textbook-like process. It's more authentic. uh, Authentic, yeah, that's right. It has to be authentic, but it also, but that doesn't mean it can't be intentional, right? Right. Because I I do feel like something that, I'm going to speak for well-meaning white people. Mm -hmm. Um, I am one. Uh, That there's a, we're terrified of being awkward, terrified of offending others. And so it's easier just to have a Muslim friend. I have a Muslim friend. (laughs) Check. <laughs> I have I have some black friends, yeah. you know, yeah. and then just kind of coast yeah. on that knowing on that. Maybe even they're like somebody that you've talked about your breakups with and you've talked mm-hmm. about, you know, um, you've seen their families, you know each other like as a friend, but you don't talk about the things that you're afraid to, that you might offend someone. Which I go ahead. I think one of the the one question that bothers me the most is when people come up to me and ask me, where are you from? Like, that's the first question they ask in the very first meeting or very first interaction, right? Do you ask them then where they're from? Because I feel like that's the way to go. Yeah, and it's like, (laughs) yeah, right? I know. I know. I reply with Chicago. Oh, yeah. That works too. I was born and raised. So, oh. And so then the question starts to evolve. And it's like, so when did, have you always been in Minnesota? Mm. And it's like, no, I was, I moved here in 98. Oh, from Chicago. <laughs> All right. And so, you know, they're they're just they're so curious, right? Of like where with I'm this like exotic zoo animal or something, right? But like I've never had that type of a question from my sisters at NCJW, right? And just a couple of weeks ago when India, Pakistan were about to like go to war. Yeah, that have somehow slipped under the radar for a lot of people. Yeah. But yes, I remember. But Beth reached out to me and asked, yeah. How are my parents doing? Not because I told Beth that, you know, when she, not because Beth asked me where I'm from, but because Beth has been listening to everything that I've been blabbering about for the past three years, right? And she knew that my parents were in India, right? That they were visiting, that they're on vacation or they're snowbirds. And so the fact that like, she never asked where I'm from, but listened to really get to know who I am is really what that authentic relationship is about versus the the first time I meet you, I'm going to ask a very invasive question. And a dishonest question. Yeah. Right. Because I think it's the intention, like, let's go back to intention. Intention is really important, right? Like, I think you could probably tell the difference between someone who genuinely is like, 
so where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> and mm, where, where, where are you from? And why do you need to know that yeah. in the first meeting? Yeah. Well, okay. And again, I'm actually like, in some some people, like my husband, who's great at small talk and I'm not, he asks stuff like that all the time yeah. of like, where are you from? Where'd you meet? Yeah. You know, who's your favorite sports team? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, somebody's really asking. But yeah, like, but I think you can tell. Yeah. And there's an intention, because intentionality, right? Right. Like, if someone's really meaning to ask you, like, who are your allegiances with, <laughs> which is, I think, what is yeah. at the back of the, the bad form of that question. Yeah. Um, you can tell, yeah. you know. Well, Nashina, I appreciate your your generosity because at South by, I felt like the worst <laughs> ally in the universe because oh, that was, <laughs> oh, was. I'm glad you're laughing about it because I'm mortified. I'm probably turning red as we speak. But we, <laughs> or it's just really hot in this room. Yeah. Or it's, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but we we were walking into the session. We're a little late, so we're in a hurry and. <laughs> The South by volunteer, who I think was a woman of color yeah. even, was standing at the door going, oh, this session must be really great. There's all kinds of international people there, implying that, you know. Uh-huh. We're both international because we're, we're walking in together. And I said. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, we're from Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> and I just stood there with my mouth I open. Was like, I was just I, I, powerless. Um, so I need I need some. um lessons and how to be a good active ally. ally. Well, active I'm not sure, ally. like, what is that? What was, what do you think you should have done there? I should have been the one to say we're do from Minnesota instead of just standing there in shock. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think don't you know. Get to, I, think, I think actually this is a place where also, like, having a continuous ongoing relationship matters. Like, you get to have a, had a moment of, like, let's call it a brain fart. Like, yeah. let's say, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yes, like, let's call it that. <laughs> where you were like, I don't know what I say now. I think we're thrown um, off because I think we also expect other people of color to just, yeah. like, kind of get it, too. And I think we all are kind of guilty of some of these implicit biases when mm-hmm. we speak, right? So I remember when you told me people ask you where you're from, and I was like, Why? And 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 then but 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 then listening to all of that like background and history, I was like, oh my gosh. Right. I mean and let's be clear that yeah. I walk through the world most of the time like a white the white woman that I that I am. And so I yeah. definitely carry that white privilege. I definitely swim in that water of white supremacy. Yeah. But I look Jewish to anyone who's looking, right? Who wants uh, to look. Anyone who wants to look, anyone who wants to try to, you know, probe. make me a little uncomfortable yeah. at the airport or probe a little bit just to get me to say it. So I have experienced it. It's not as obvious or invasive, but it's there. Yeah. But I do I, I but I do want to acknowledge that most yeah. white Jews just get to be white. Just get to be white most yeah. of the time. I've uh, so many things I want to, I want to say. First, I feel like I just want to draw out um, this idea about um, having the context of an ongoing close friendship as a place to be able to make mistakes. Like I think that's just really important to to put out there. That I think some people, again, well-meaning white people, I think just again terrified. And they, we, but we can do have brain farts. But if it's in the context of an ongoing relationship where you really care about somebody, you get to have that moment where then maybe if it was something that you needed to apologize for, you could then apologize for. And then we're a little bit more forgiving, right? Naturally, yeah. because we understand the efforts that the other person is, has been making. Yeah. Versus like in that first interaction where you're like, mm, you could have done that a little bit better. Yeah. We talked about this on the show in terms of disability as well, like the difference between mm-hmm. like, like I miss disability somebody once. Like I made an assumption about their disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, it was awful. Like I felt awful, but she, and she would have let me just go. Mm-hmm. Like all I had to do was say I'm sorry and then we could have moved on. Yeah. But what was wonderful was I said, what should I have said? Like, what should I have done in that moment? And she was able to, like, tell me, which was the real value of that relationship, right? Like, not just that I get to make the mistake, but that she feels like she has the energy and the time and the context to educate me in a way that I asked. Right. That was really generous of her because I think that it is—I know that it is exhausting to Mm -hmm. have to be the— teacher and the explainer all the time um it's really hard yeah all that emotional labor and then after I invest all of that it's still up to you 
of whether or not you want to receive all of it. Exactly. And again, so this is why we have to have the ongoing relationship because hopefully at some point there's going to be some transfer of of will and of and of um, education. Like it goes both ways. Yeah. Right. Um, so speaking of white privilege, <laughs> which we should speak of a lot, uh, how do you navigate that in working together? Because there is, I mean, I think you both have been very intentional about how you talk about your relationship and your friendship. Um, you do get to walk through the world as a, as a white woman, Beth. And so when you're working together, like how do you use your knowledge of that to make the relationship more equal? Or maybe I should ask, actually. I leverage her white privilege when I need to. (laughs) Okay. And we call it out as often as we can and hope that our sisters give us the grace of calling us in when we mess up because we all mess up all the time. Um, We're people. But when we started started Muslim and Jewish Women of Minnesota, we know that, um, that as mostly white Jews that we do have this privilege. And so we were intentional about making sure that any of our programs or gatherings were either in neutral spaces or Muslim spaces um, and and making sure that there was parity, that there's that they're the same number of Muslim and Jewish women, especially at first, because, you know, we dominant culture folks co- tend to come in there and take over and well-meaning mm-hmm. and all of the things, but not always helpful. And we really wanted to to honor um Honor that and acknowledge it. It's why it's why it's Muslim and Jewish women of Minnesota instead of Jewish and Muslim women of Minnesota. I mean, just the very smallest things. It's why we meet in mosques and we haven't met in synagogues. It's right. it's what we do. I would think from hearing you guys talk that my place in what you are doing is to just show up where you tell me to show up. If you're having a vigil, if you're having a protest, if you ask for volunteers— is that the kind of support that someone like me can give you? Yes, and absolutely. Money, I guess, also <laughs> yeah. would all be yep. good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Funding never is, forget money. Yeah, yeah. Never funding forget. is a challenge. So yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think the bigger thing, Anna, is that this is your platform, right? Right. We're in your platform because you opened it up and you invited us to be here. A lot of people don't. Imagine if we were hosting something and then you're like, you know what? I want to come to that. And we'll co-host. Yeah. I'm going to co-host your show. Yeah. I'm going to come in and co-host your yeah. show. Right. And then, so do you see the difference with that is mm-hmm. that this is like more authentic for us, right? Like this is more not just transactional, but like the beginning of like building a relationship with a true ally. Well, I hope so. You guys seem really cool. <laughs> we are. We're so much fun. Actually. And you're actually in Minneapolis, which is, uh, again, yeah. just, just you know, yeah. have that break to like yeah. talk about how awesome that is. Um <laughs> We're uh, speaking of breaks. We're going to take a quick break for um, sponsors, and we'll be right back. Have you heard about this company making stylish shoes for women and girls out of recycled plastic water bottles? Again, if you've been listening to the program, you have, because it's Rothy's. And Rothy's, I was first introduced to on Instagram. It was like one of those ads that got served up to me like every, you know, 10 other 10 pictures and I tweeted about it and um, someone direct messaged me, the person who you would recognize, but I don't have permission to share, who was like, I wear those shoes all the time. Those were the shoes I wore on Capitol Hill the other day when I was lobbying about XYZ. And um, that was an endorsement that felt pretty legit. And so I got a pair and my friends, they were the shoes that I wore was in South by Southwest uh, a couple weekends ago uh, and South by Southwest, um, is enormous and you walk a lot and it was a really good test of these shoes they were great um and they got a little bit sweaty because it was austin uh in march and i was able to when i came home i just threw them in the wash and that's what you can do they're made out of plastic and you can throw the entire shoe in the wash and they have cool colors and styles too i went with a red camo loafer because actually i was in that mode of like i want to get something that's going to be like not go with anything and therefore go with everything. And I believe if you look at the pictures online of my interview with Pete Buttigieg, you will see these shoes. <laughs> and I wore them with wide-legged pinstripe pants. I think it was a pretty cute look, honestly. Anyway, you can go to Rothy's and get an amazing deal that is for my listeners. Use the code WFLT and you get free shipping with no minimum order. Free shipping and free returns and exchanges also, but you won't return them. 
Go to rothys.com. Again, that's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com, and enter WFLT to get your new favorite flats and free shipping. Once you try shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable, you're never going to wear anything else as a shoe, I guess they probably mean. Head to rothys.com and claim this offer with code WFLT. Today, we are also sponsored by Third Love. It's a bra company. Um, I do use their products. I realized this might be a little TMI today, but I'm not actually wearing a Third Love bra today, and I can tell because it doesn't fit as well. (laughs) Thanks to Third Love, I actually learned that I have, um, my girls are not a a specific um, set size. Well, that's not right. They're just a half size. They're not a size that people get traditionally because most bras don't come in half sizes. And that is one of the things that distinguishes Third Love. They have over 70 sizes, including those half sizes and everything from A to, I believe, like G. It might be even higher. Uh, If you are a person who wears bras, you're going to find a bra that fits you at thirdlove.com. And you don't have to go somewhere and have someone else do the measuring. They have a, a quiz that you can take, just a few simple questions. You will find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Over 12 million women have taken that quiz to date. The copy here says that it's fun, and I guess it's a little bit fun because it asks you some questions that force you to think about uh, the girls um, in an interesting way. I remember the one the one question I remember, and I had to actually kind of figure out is which way they point. I don't know. I've never really thought about it, uh, and now I had to think about it. You might want to figure that out before you take the quiz. They also have fit stylists available by the phone if you want that kind of thing. Oh, they're also available by text and chat. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. And again, that's 70 different sizes. They are hands down the most comfortable bra you will own. And they are tagless. They don't have they don't have labels that can itch. They have straps that won't slip. They have ultra smoothing fabrics. They're lightweight. And they have super thin memory foam cups. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 15% off their first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash friends to get your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. Again, that's thirdlove.com slash friends. All right, welcome back to the show. Astute listeners, I, I think will have noticed um, the faith background of our, our guest, you um, will probably have noticed also we've, because we've drawn attention to, I've drawn attention to the fact that we're all here in Minneapolis. And there's some news happening around um, the Muslim-Jewish relationship um, and and people from Minneapolis. And I am going to be extremely honest because I feel like we're friends. And because we're friends, though, I almost I want to ask you about asking you. I I am so part of me. The first when I booked you, my idea was like, okay, we're going to talk about Elhan Omar. We're going to talk about it. And I'm going to I'm going to learn something. I'm going to learn what's right and wrong about Elhan Omar. (laughs) Now, (laughs) what would I'm not actually asking you because I have the sense that that not that's not quite right. So tell me, tell me what would happen if I did ask you that. So if you straight up said, "Okay, let's talk about Ilhan Omar together. I the the answer that I would tell you and the answer I am telling you is that it's not an okay question. It's an unfair question and it reduces me and it reduces Noshina and it reduces our relationship really to the lowest common denominator. It denies who we are as full people and as representatives of our organization and of this really amazing, powerful coalition that we've built. And if I'm feeling really sassy, I would tell you that that's actually really anti-Semitic, anti-Islamophobic to ask that question. Because it reduces us to to stereotypes and what you what you think of us and what our relationship is. And it's it's so hard that, just like you're saying, all this other work that we're doing just gets, like, shoved to the side, and it's all back to this one topic again. Even though we know how difficult and challenging and hard that is, and we're staying in conversation about that, right, because of our relationship, but you're trying to put us under a microscope and sort of dissect us as if we're like a lab experiment. <laughs> right. You're putting us in a, in a fishbowl because you kind of want to see us fight with each other because yeah. that's kind of fun and sexy. It's a good thing I didn't actually ask you then, right? <laughs> right, because then you'd be really insulted right now. <laughs> yeah. This podcast would be over. Because <laughs> right. you guys just walked out. Walk out. Walk out. Walk out. Walk out. <laughs> 
I I think that's super. I really appreciate you talking that out with me. I really appreciate you educating me about that because I feel like even putting myself in in who I was two days ago, mm-hmm. like I don't know if I would have realized that that was um, an offensive thing to ask. Because I think I could, I would put myself in the space of like, well, I'm, I, how else would I'm going to find out about this? How else am I going to know what what Muslim people and Jewish people think about this this controversy? There's a super cool thing called the internet. Yeah, exactly. With, um, a lot of people have written out many, many, many things about that. <laughs> because we were talking earlier about sort of the emotional labor that gets done by people of color and other minorities or other non-centered people, mm-hmm. um, and I was talking about how the white person like. I feel like what we do a lot of is either just not talk about that. I was in a big public um, speaking engagement, and I got asked, like, one of the last questions from a white man. (laughs) (laughs) He raised a hand. He's like, what do you think about the oppression of women? (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, our topic was, like, Islam 101 and understanding our communities. But I was like, what? Dude, that's an equal opportunity offender, right? Like, yeah. we don't have jurisdiction and, like, rights over it. Everybody is oppressing women everywhere you look, right? Misogyny and sexism and all that. So we wouldn't be fighting <laughs> for these rights in even the United States, which still has yet to elect a female president. Mm. So you get that loaded question and you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but I answered it with, you know, a typical, like, uh, that's not religion, that's culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Which could be your culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, I only just put together that he was trying to put it on I- Islam. Yes. Oh, sorry. Like, right? I was yeah, like, yeah. I was, oh, I just got that, too. Yeah, because of the, con- <laughs> the whole, it was like Islam 101 and understanding the oh, communities, right? See? Yeah, white ladies over here going white. We're a little little slow, but I still understood the general idea. But then I was like, "Oh, he's like trying to catch you out in hypocrisy." Yeah, he thinks like, "Yeah, you're like somehow there's a conflict here." Yeah, then you are pointing out, well, especially because I speak English so well. Yeah, you do. I want to compliment you on on English that you you speak. So thank you. Well, I, last week somebody said, you sound very educated. Oh, no. Are you serious? And I was like, that's right. I have an, I have a master's. Like, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but it just it was like, I, I don't know. Some people just, things come out wrong. Right? <laughs> things come out wrong. You're being so generous. And I do think that that is something, a role that a lot of people of color, non-centered people have been, been forced into yeah. is this generosity. Right. Well, and I think it's the whole, the whole. Whereas like a white person, I'm telling you. Like, we'll be offended. Like you said, like, sometimes you get offended on her behalf, but then they had the interaction in Austin where it sounded like Noshima was able to take the the reins in that conversation. Right. We're from Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's the the unconscious bias again. I think so much gets done and said unintentionally. And you got to... You got to call people in. You got to call people out, um, whatever the occasion warrants. Um, and I actually, I don't want to let this conversation go without talking about ways that we show up for each other. And you'll see where I'm going with this. But um, your daughter spoke at the the vigil at the mosque last mm-hmm. week and said, "You know what you got to do? You got to call out Islamophobia when you see it. You know, none of this stuff about how calling out alienates people and call out culture. You got to do it, or it's never going to change." And I appreciated that message so much. Um, and I think that there are also times where calling in is more effective, mm-hmm. and you don't always know what's going to work, but you can't just let it sit. Um, I've actually never heard the phrase calling in, which I feel like I intuit as something I'm going to like when you explain it. (laughs) (laughs) Because it sounds like it's something, it's an alternative to calling out. And it's very generous if you can do it. So what, what is calling in? So it's when... It's when somebody invokes an anti-Semitic trope that they don't know they're invoking. Mm-hmm. And you say, you know what? Um, I want to talk to you about about what you said. And maybe you pull them aside and you're not doing it in front of people. And maybe it's an honest conversation. And it requires a lot of work and a lot of space and the right opportunity. But it's—and um, it's, it's a very generous way of, of dealing with people— 
Um, and if you've got the time and space and opportunity for it, I think it's more effective in changing hearts and minds than calling out, which puts people on the defensive. Um, sometimes both need to happen. Sometimes you maybe call out and then you take the opportunity to call in later. Um, I think that we can get distracted in our progressive you know, culture by deciding between or deciding that one of those is good and one of those is bad, like calling in versus calling out, mm-hmm. like shaming versus reaching yeah. across. Um, one of the most interesting conversations I've had on this show is with a former white supremacist um, who, whose story is, is really interesting. Derek Black, everyone, we'll link it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is, like, currently his partner is a girl that he met when he was still a white supremacist, and she was very liberal, and they had a relationship. And I saw in the coverage of the book about him and them, people really, white people, really wanted to think that that was the thing that changed him, was right? That was, was her. Okay. You know, she, like— she loved him, and he saw her generally, whatever. Like, But he said, oh, no, no, the shame that I felt and the shame that people, you know, directed towards me was really important. It was really important huh. that, like, I understood how much my beliefs hurt people mm. and that they told me that, you know, and made me feel alienated because of the ways that my beliefs were alienating them. Mm-hmm. So one thing that occurred to me when I was thinking about the paradigm that you guys have have set up here, we've talked through a lot, um, where you can have a relationship with someone uh, that you might have ideological differences with, you might have religious differences with, you might have political differences with, but if you've, you've grounded it in a personal relationship and you've grounded it in a shared common goal, is there a limit to that practice? And by that I mean, are there some people who hold beliefs or opinions who have said something in the past that you would be unwilling to work with them on an, on an issue like Mike Pence <laughs> comes to you and says, I want to work with you. This is not going to happen, but no, oh. you don't think oh. one says he wants to work with you. I was going to, one of the example I was going to use is on like menstrual equality. <laughs> he probably wouldn't even hey, say I'd the words. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe also the universe in which Mike Pence would do that. It's already different. So maybe it's not worth See, talking that's about. The thing. We often work in coalition with partners. I'm, I'm speaking from, from NCJW now. Yeah. Um, with whom we disagree vehemently on some topics. For example, we work very closely with, I think it was the Catholic Conference around issues of food justice and economic justice. We were on the opposite side of them when it came to marriage equality, Mm. LGBTQ rights. Um, But yeah, you come together when you need to come together to get important things done. We're both working on menstrual equity. I don't know if you... Yes, I did. (laughs) That that wasn't just pulled out of thin air, so... I just was trying to also think of the thing that would make Mike Pence the most uncomfortable. And, like, gay rights was a little too, like, easy. Like, LGBTQ rights was a little too easy to get there. But I think that would super make him uncomfortable. Well, that's part of our, actually, our legislative strategy with menstrual equity. This is totally an aside, but... um, (laughs) A worthy aside, a worthy uh, aside. Totally a worthy aside, but it makes men so uncomfortable to talk about it that there's some thought that they'll just go ahead and pass the bill and give the funding as long as we don't show up in their office with, you know, like, like my husband will definitely remember to bring home like tampons if I say it out loud to him. Um. <laughs> and mine will intentionally, I think, and oh God, I can't say this. He's going to listen. But I, I feel like he intentionally buys the wrong thing. So I don't won't send well, them out oh, again. Oh, oh, sorry, Gordon. Oh, that's sneaky, but probably un- unconscious. Or, probably. You know, um, also, I want to just chime in here uh, on one point is I remember appreciating um, something you had said, Beth, which was we have to stay in conversation. Right. So there we can be on totally opposite ends of some issue. But if we stop conversing, we will never understand each other or others that hold that same point of view. Right. And if you just cut off those relationships and you can't work together on other things. And I feel like that's what's the problem right now with our country. Right. Is this like complete polarization. It's like an all or nothing game. And we can't find like middle ground to be able to work on different things. And so staying in conversation for me has been a really good like mantra to make sure that 
when somebody says something completely off off uh, the rails that I'm like, okay, get, don't be mad for a little bit and then figure out like how you're going to articulate the proper response versus the I'm unfriending you on Facebook mm-hmm. and I never have to see you again <laughs> because you have to deal with this and deal with it in a healthy way. I'm going to be honest. I didn't expect that answer from you. Um, you thought I would just cut people off? No. I mean, I think because my uh, sort of unselfconscious or subconscious like vision of like being woke yeah. and being like a person who's an ally mm-hmm. means that I like when somebody does something bad, I mean, I got to denounce that person, call out that person, um, and that that's how I am, a, how I am a good ally. Um, and so you're educating me a little bit because you're also reminding me of something that some of my friends who are people of color have said to me, which is that, you know, Anna, like, if people of color stopped working with racists, like, what would we do? <laughs> like, who would we work with? And, it, and also maybe and maybe a better Phrase there is if we stop working with people who benefited from white supremacy, who would we work with? Right. I would love to take a stab at that question, yeah. too, because I think the I think the human, the very human impulse is to retreat when you're mm-hmm. feeling hurt and when you're feeling attacked. And I will um, speaking for all Jews, no, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> which I never, ever, ever, ever <laughs> want to do. But I think that um, there have been recent instances of anti-Semitism across the board, from the right, from the left, from the middle, from all over the place. And I think the the natural impulse when you're feeling hurt and when you're feeling attacked is to retreat. And I think that's a really dangerous thing to do. I think that when you stop having the conversation and being in the relationship and and calling people in, it only serves to further isolate us. And I think it's a really dangerous, yeah. dangerous behavior. Um, that said, you know, I live in a pretty comfortable bubble in um, the 5th Congressional District in my um, very liberal neighborhood and my very um, <laughs> compatible <laughs> colleagues. So I don't often have the opportunity to really get very far outside of that. Um, I like to think that my better angels would prevail. And if I were confronted with a situation um, or an individual or the opportunity to be in conversation or in relationship with somebody with my pence <laughs> that I would that I would engage in that conversation yeah. and show and show some grace and hope that by being by nurturing those relationships that we could make some progressive change. You just have to believe otherwise why are we doing anything right, right. and um, I think, Shutting down and retreating is a privilege. I was, wow. maybe this gets actually to sort of another part, like, right? So it's easy for a white person to say, I'm not going to work with that person because we have, we have a ton of other people to work with, right? right? Um, and also there is a, a sort of privilege and assumption and entitlement involved in 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 claiming yourself a, as an ally um, when, let's just say, for instance, Mike Pence calls out anti-Semitism. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right? Like but that's actually with friends but like these. Exactly. Right? Exactly. exactly. That's but the point of the show. Islamophobia. Well, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And also somewhat maybe insincere in his calling out of anti-Semitism. I don't mean maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. But that that's like a privilege to be able to do that. And it's also um, kind of like a other end of the telescope of when I said, tell me what you think about Ilhan Omar. Um, it's presuming that I get to tell you what you think about her, right? Like I get to say that that was that. And I'm a, I'm, what is it? His Pence is actually, he's such a good example for this. What did he say? I'm a Christian or some something in a Republican in that order. He always puts Christian first. Yeah. Like I, we, first I get that identity. question. What are you first, Muslim or American? Really? Yeah. Ooh. And I was like— That's the allegiance thing. That's the allegiance. We'll yeah, ask you where you're from. Oh, yeah. so that's, you guys, that's what they're see, getting you at. You guys have they... a lot in common. Yeah. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> see you but, on the white skit. Yeah. yeah but <laughs> good job. <laughs> but, the, but what's annoying about that is, like, I'm looking at it from an intersectionality point mm-hmm. of view, right? My identities are my religion, my gender, my ethnicity, my race, right? My socioeconomic background, my— et cetera, et cetera. So I can't walk into a room and be like, today I'm going to act Muslim. 
<laughs> and then go into another room right. and be like, here, I'm just going to be a woman, right? None of these things can be checked at the door. And so for you to ask me, like, if it's, I mean, if it's an allegiance question, whatever, but like, but if it's this, like, where, you know, how do you show up? I sh- all of it shows up. Like, it's one big, messy, complicated identity, right, of all these different aspects. And so that question is just so rude and offensive. And and it's ugh. also just, like, weirdly impractical because the, there, the number of places where you're going to be asked with any real, like, consequence to put your identities in order. Yeah. Like, just doesn't happen. Yeah. Right? Like, but he can be Christian first. Yeah. I well, he can be, declare it. Too. Yeah, but yeah. I have to be Muslim last, right? Right, according to that sort of ideology. Yeah, that sucks. Yep. <laughs> but when I walk out anywhere, what am I first to you? Right, I'm Muslim first. So it's like, it's like this like hypocritical double standard. So when I was at TED Women, uh-huh. um, I was in the elevator, and somebody walked in and said. And there was another person in the elevator, too. And she said, oh, are you guys both speakers? And I was like, no, he was a speaker, right? And then she looked at me, and she was like, are you sure? Because there were two other Muslim women who were speaking at TED. But, like, what a ridiculous response, right? Are you sure? Like, how often would, like, a big platform like that mess up on who's on? And also, what's insult to you? Right. So then the writing joke with our cohort that was at that conference was, like, every time we would see, like, even an emoji, we'd be like, hey, is that you? Is that you? (laughs) And then after a while, I was like, hey, look, there's me again. Well, it wasn't even. Also, I mean, speaking of Ilhan Omar. Oh, 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 no. We get this a that, lot. It's really funny that we people Sorry, will, it's not they'll, funny they'll invite all. they'll invite her to speak, and then we, uh, like we will show up, right? Actually, I'm going to be you show up, right? Because it's not well, like I show up and Asma <laughs> show up. Her oh, and my colleague, not me. Oh, yeah, okay, because you're pointing at an yeah. invisible person yeah, in the sorry, middle here. Our, our yeah, yeah. advocacy director, right. and so we will have somebody that is waiting for Ilhan to come on stage, and they'll see us, and they'll be like, "Are you Ilhan?" And so we're like, we want to roll our eyes, right? Because we probably mm. do. I know nothing. I can't hold back. Um, I would lose that poker. But um, she, she's like, she's like black, right? Like from a, like an African country, and we're like Indian and Pakistani from Asia, and so that's why we're like we're not even the same like race technically, if we want to go with that construct. Yeah. But anyway, afterwards we started teasing Ilhan because we were like, hey, have you met Noshina? Like to her, <laughs> we'd be like just. Joking around with her. And then finally we started a hashtag that was like, all Ilhans matter. (laughs) Hashtag, we're all Ilhan, right? And it just was like a little running joke of hoping people will understand. I did notice a funny thing, though, when we were together, um, like, registering for conferences. Mm -hmm. Like, they just automatically know who we are and hand us our name tags because you walk in and they just (laughs) remember and that. Where was that? It was in the hospitality room. Yeah. And we just walked in. <laughs> yeah. and, and after we were sitting there for a while, everybody else who walked in, they got asked who they were and yeah. what their names were and yeah. what they were doing. But yeah. but you're the only duo maybe. of your kind. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> but I thought that was a little funny. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk about how we've talked about how we show up with each other a lot yes. in advocacy. That's yeah. But I also want to talk about how we show up for each other. Um these last weeks have been really hard for the Muslim community in particular with the terrorist attack in Christchurch. With There was a fire set to a mosque in California, I believe, as well. It's There's a never-ending assault on Muslim communities, Jewish communities to a lesser extent as well. But we're there for each other. I know that sounds trite, but I think that we are strong for each other. Um when it's hard. And I can speak for myself after the Tree of Life shooting in Pittsburgh when my impulse was to crawl under the covers and hide. Um, when Noshina reached out and said, what are we going to do? That's what inspired us to organize a vigil and give the entire community the opportunity to come in and show solidarity and grieve with us. And it really, really helped. And in the aftermath of, of, of Christchurch, I hope that we showed up with the same open heart and willingness to to yeah. be there for well, you. Because I was you. technically on vacation 
And that Thursday night, I just remember like shaking as I was trying to be checked out, right, and spend time with my family. And in that moment, I was like being pulled back into real life. And I remember going to bed thinking like, how could this happen, right? Our places of worship are being attacked like this. And that morning, right, we have pre-dawn prayers. I was up right away and like praying and reading Quran and my first text that I get is from Beth, right? Not from anybody from my family, not from like from my community because we're all reeling, right? But like it's from Beth. And and I think it's that moment where you're like, this is tough. This is scary. But we have all these people that are like with us and are going to help us get through it. And I think Beth said something like, you know, you're a good Like, I want to be a good friend. And I was like, yeah, but you're a sister, right? So it's like our friendship is really, like, more deeper than just showing up for public policy. It's like we will put maybe—we might put our lives on the line for each other now. (laughs) I appreciate you guys being here so much. Um, Thank you. And we'll have to have you back. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks. And that is it for the show. Uh, as you realize, if you're listening this far in, you're one of the super fans. You know, we've been off for a month. This is the first show back. And I wanted to share a little bit about what I did on my summer vacation or my March hiatus. And there's a lot. And I, I have this idea in my head that I was going to like write a big like essay about it and, and share with this way. And then like things happened and, uh, you know, life happens and I didn't get my thoughts together quite in the way that I wanted to. But there is something really, really important that happened. I saw a psychic. Uh, that's not actually the most important thing. And I, I want to be clear here. I don't know if I actually believe in psychics, like woo-woo, like actually believe. Um, the way that I kind of thought about it at the time is like the way you would think about gambling, you know, like don't spend money you're not ready to lose. Like I just was like, I'm going to do this because I think it'll be interesting. And it sort of was, I mean, she said some stuff that, you know, was probably easily Googleable about me. Um, she guessed my birthday. Um, there was some stuff that seemed like way off. Uh, and then a couple things that, that seemed on, but could have just been she's super observant, maybe. Um, and then at some point towards the end, she asked me if I had any questions. And I did. I said, I'm at this point in my career where things are going pretty well, but I kind of feel like I need to be be doing more or I need to like take it in a direction or I need to have some new goals or I need to, there's like, I just, I don't know what I should be doing next. I, I, I need some guidance. And this honestly was why I had signed up for this is that not that I thought that she would tell me what the spirits wanted, um, but I thought maybe once I heard what she said, the spirit said, it might at least give me something to react to. <laughs> I would like have a feeling of like, oh, that seems wrong. So I'll do this other thing. Anyway, so I told her, like, I'm at this crossroads, I feel like, and I don't know what to do next. There's all these different things, like write a book. Um, no, don't write a book. Write more. Write less. Do more podcasts. Do pure podcasts. Set this goal. Set that goal. I didn't say all of that, but that's what I was thinking. And she got really calm, and she said, so you, you want to know what you, you're supposed to do next? And I said, that's, that's exactly right. And she said, you're already doing it. And listeners, I teared up a little because that is what I guess I needed to hear. And it's what I want to share with you. If you are scared or worried or obsessing about the future, I am here to pass on the message that I was given. Don't worry about what you should be doing. You're already doing it. And with that in mind, I'll see you next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. Mm. 
Life doesn't have a pause button. That's why Capella University's FlexPath learning format lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them if something comes up. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference for you at capella.edu. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.